All right, let's go. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So good morning once again. Thank you. How's it going this morning? Feeling good already? Feeling, feeling the energy in the room? You feeling like God's got something to tell you and he's got something to bring you closer to who he is? Because if you don't already, we're going to get that going. Um, if you've been keeping up with us over the summer, um, you've seen us talking about uh, the sermon series that I, I titled Identity. Uh, right in your identity, you know, we've heard a lot about that. You can identify yourself as this, as what you believe about yourself. That's your identity, right? Who you believe you are, that's your identity, right? We put our identity in a lot of different places and a lot of different concepts, but that's really what it focuses down to. A lot of times we talk about our identity, we put our identity in things of this world, right? As adults, we talk about it as our jobs, right? We identify ourselves as a teacher, as a doctor, as an electrician, or whatever it is that we are. That's how we put, where we put our identity. But then one day we retire, and then we're not that anymore, so what are we now, right? So we put things in world, when we put our identity in worldly things, um, they change on us, right? When we put our identity in Christ, and we say that, you know, and even in when we're kids, things change, right? We put our identity as, as an athlete or as a student or whatever it is. Those things change on us, right? But God instructs us to seek bigger and better things, bigger and better things than the things that are here on this earth. He reminds us that, that he created us for so much more than what we have or what is seen on this earth and in this kingdom here on this earth. In fact, that's what our gospel reading uh, was about this morning. I, I keep putting my eyes on that. Our, we're focusing on Luke 12. Um, now, you might be familiar with that. There's a parallel passage, of course, in, in Matthew um, 6 that, like I said earlier, Jesus is in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's delivering this massive uh, message. If, you're, um, if your Bible has red letters in it, then Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is going to be red because that's Jesus talking. That's Jesus uh, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. But I chose to uh, present this section of Luke 12. Um, I chose that because I'll unveil that a little bit uh, down the road. But I want to look at the first part of Luke 12, 31 a that says this, the first part of Luke 31 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And again, if you didn't know any better, but you do, and if I hadn't already told you before, but I have, I've told you that this sounds like a casual, helpful suggestion, seek the kingdom of God above all else. But in reality, what we have here is a command from God. This is absolutely a command from God, right? And as I said a moment ago, this verse um, in Luke 12 is echoed in Matthew 6.33. So let's take a look at that a little bit more. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Right? That sounds very familiar. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So here's a perfect example of what we talk about in our youth group. We talk about God's promises and God's commands. Right? And they're usually in the same verse together. Right? God's promises and God's commands. This Bible, this book, is full of God's promises along with God's commands. Now, again, when we say God's commands, everybody thinks 12 commandments, right? 10 commandments. <laughs> I added a couple. <laughs> I told you I'm a little wired this morning. I just added, I, I, we'll put up on the board the, a couple new ones. The 10 commandments, right? And the thou shalt nots, right? But this is a command. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, Right? He gives us these commands for our own good to grow us in our relationship with him. So again, here's a perfect example of God's commands and God's promises all bundled up neatly and nestled together in the same verse. Seek the kingdom, right? 
live righteously, which we went into in, at length last Sunday. So if you need to go back and look at that, go back and take a look at that. And then right on top of that is the promise, right? And he will give you everything you need. Now, last week I introduced this new sermon series that we titled Kingdom, or The Kingdom, right? And I tried to tie it in with our last series of identity. How do we identify ourselves with God's kingdom? Not just as a child of God, but how do we tie in our identity with God's kingdom? And it's always our goal, our identity is always our goal, my goal, that we should use every day that we have here. Our goal is always to strengthen our relationship with God. To strengthen our relationship with God. How many times did I say that here with our kids, right? Up here with the seventh graders just now. And how many times have we prayed that already this morning? Strengthen our relationship with you. Because that's what God really wants from us. He wants a relationship with us, with you. That's what he, why he created you. And as we understand that, as we go in to strengthen our relationship with God, um, he's going to help us understand his message to us. As we go for that goal, right? Understand how God talks to us more clearly. Understand how he changes our lives by what he tells us. But there's also our responsibility in God's kingdom. Right? We've got a responsibility in God's kingdom. Sometimes we don't always look at it like that. We think that we're just consumers with God, that God's going to give and God's going to give and God's going to give, right? We want to receive all the rewards, but we want none of the responsibility. Well, when we start reading God's word like that, understanding that we have a responsibility, some of those things start jumping off the page at us. And the things that we take as a casual um, suggestion, we actually start understanding as one of God's commands, and then we got to understand why God commands us to do that. So we broke that down in two different ways last week. And, well, we always kind of break it down in two different ways. Um, if you hear from our youth group, like I said, I'm always pointing out um, God's commands and God's promises. Right? How God commands us something and how God promises something. Sometimes they're flipped around. God's promises and then his commands after that. Because, again, the more we understand the purpose of God's words. Are you listening to me? The more we understand the purpose of God's words the more his message will jump out to us when we're reading it. It's a difference between reading passively and reading actively. When we're understanding the message, when we're looking for the purpose, when we're reading, the purpose is going to jump out at us. The more that message jumps out as we read through his words. So like I said last week, I put a different spin on those two themes, commands and promises, that we talk about in the youth group on a regular basis. Not just commands and promises, the vocabulary we need to understand in there and also then recognize as we're reading through the Bible is what we talked about last week, what I introduced last week is covenant and kingdom. Right? Covenant and kingdom. And when, again, we're reading through the Bible, as we start to intentionally look for those two themes, covenant and kingdom, we start to intentionally look for those themes, the main points that God is desperately trying to get into our lives and get into our minds and get into our being, Right? When we're looking for that, then we can recognize God's covenant promises because God uses words like, I will. God says, I will do these things, or I have done these things. Or in the case of Matthew 6, it says, he will do everything, right? He will give you everything you need. That's covenant language. Right? God's promises. 
And then in the kingdom language, you know, one would be hard-pressed to find a verse that better demonstrates covenant and kingdom, or kingdom and covenant in this case, right? In the same verse. Kingdom, that's you do. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. That's kingdom. That's us. That's our job. That's our responsibility, right? Like I said, so often we're just consumers, we want the rewards, we want the benefits, right? But we don't want the responsibility that comes with that. Kingdom language puts the responsibility squarely on us. Seek here is in the verb form um, as in continually seek. Always, right? This says above all else. I like, that's the NLT version. I like it like that because sometimes it says seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's what I've got out on the sign, but I might change that to say above all else because it makes a little more sense like that, right? Really what it's saying is seek first, second, third, fourth, and always the kingdom of God. Seek first, always, continually. Keep on seeking. Seek the kingdom as if nothing else matters, as if nothing else counts. So you're thinking the kingdom of God, seek the kingdom of God before my job? Yes. Seek the kingdom of God above my family? Yes. Seek the kingdom of God above school? I can get a big amen to that one, right? Yes. Above all else, everything else. Before my house, yes. Before my car, yes. Everything, the kingdom of God first. If we actually did that, Right? That's why this is God's command. If we actually did that, and by the way, if you're thinking in your head, I already do that each and every day, then you're dismissed. Or better yet, come up here and tell us how to actually do that in our lives, right? But think about that. If we actually, each and every one of us, actually were seeking the kingdom above all else, think about how different the world would be. And if we demanded that from other people, leaders, things like that. I thought about that this morning as I was, I was reading some news feeds and things about a bunch of workers being on strike. If we were seeking the kingdom of God first, we wouldn't have so many people on strike. Not because that they're unhappy with their contract, but because we wouldn't have CEOs making $30 million a year, right? Seeking the kingdom of God first. But I digress. But that's actually the point. So what exactly is that covenant promise of God? He will give you everything you need. Well, there are two schools of thought on that. He will give you everything you need. The two schools of thought that they really come to a point together. You know what? Let's, let's come back to that in half hour or so. How much time we got here? Let's just back up for a moment so we can get a running start into that. Right? So what does Jesus actually mean here? I mean, what's he actually mean here? The first part is a command, kingdom language, us playing our role in God's kingdom plan. So how are we supposed to take that command to seek God's kingdom above all else? Well, this verse's meaning is as direct as it sounds. It's not veiled. It's not hidden. It's not a mystery. It, sounds, it is as direct as it sounds. God clearly says it like this. Those who don't trust my kingdom, God's kingdom, will put their trust in the kingdom of this world that we talked about last week. Put their trust in the kingdom of this world and obey the ruler of this world that is kind of jaw-dropping stuff when you start reading it. You start looking at it. 
Those who don't trust my kingdom, God says, will chase after worldly things, after worldly ideas, after worldly thoughts, after worldly philosophies and beliefs, always trying to get more, never having enough, not enough stuff, not enough money, not enough power, not enough control, not enough authority, not enough recognition, not enough acknowledgement. And the message Jesus has for us is that the world, this world, and the ruler of this world will never be enough for us. Remember we talked about that imprint that God puts on us that can only be filled with God. So we're always longing to fill that with God. But sometimes we try to fill it with other things, right? But you're always going to want more. I've got a perfect illustration for this. And in order to do that, it's time to play your favorite game show and mine. Who it is? Our first contestant this morning. You guys know this guy, right? John D. Rockefeller. Thank you. Yeah. People are just being shy. Reuben, you know who this guy is. Rockefeller. Rockefeller was, uh, as far as we know, the first billionaire. Rockefeller was the first billionaire. At his peak, this might not sound like much, but I'm going to put it in perspective here. At his peak, he was worth 2% of our entire nation's economy. This one person, 2% of our entire nation's economy. To put that in perspective, if you take Elon Musk, who arguably is the richest person in the world, um, Bill Gates, if you put them together, they don't even get to half of where Rockefeller was in his day, perspective speaking. This guy was rich beyond compare. And so there's a couple of quotes that kind of get misquoted, and I'm not sure if I got the right one this time or not, but they asked Rockefeller how much money he wanted and how much money would make him happy, and this is what he said. How much money does it take to make a man happy? One more dollar. This is a guy that arguably was the richest man that ever lived. And what did he say was going to make him happy? I need, need another one. need another one. need another one. When you let your wealth define you, it will never be enough. You'll always want a little bit more. I do that with fishing, just one more cast, just one more cast. One more dollar, right? When your wealth becomes your identity, right, it will never be enough. And when it comes to your identity, either you'll, let, um, you'll define yourself with your wealth or you'll let your wealth define you, right? That's how it likely happens. We've been talking about wealth this whole time, but again, because I think we, I feel like we can relate to that, but you can replace it with anything here. So when we think about that, about that, um, that first part of Matthew 6, 33, it makes, a, it makes a little more sense, or at least it comes into a focus a little bit more. And again, that word seek is um, what we call the imperative tense, the Greek imperative tense, which means it's a, it's a command. Right? We're, just not, we're not just making this stuff up. We're not saying, oh, this is a command. No, that's how it's written in the Greek language. It's a little different than English, but it's absolutely a command. Again, not just a helpful suggestion. It's a command. And again, I'll remind you that we're deep in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount here. A few verses back, Jesus reminds us that we need to be single-minded. Single-minded with a single focus that is focused to please God, on pleasing God. So there we got kingdom and then we have covenant. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything. Now the skeptic is going to look at that and say something like, well, see, here we go again. God putting conditions on his gifts to us. God puts conditions on his gifts to us, right? 
Much like when Satan accused God to his face of bribing Job into loving him and following him, Satan said he only loves you because you give him stuff. And so we see that Matthew 6.33 has a command and has a promise, right? This is the definition of a verse containing both covenant and kingdom. We have it all in the same one, covenant and kingdom. Actually, it's the other way around, kingdom and covenant, command and a promise. So before we get to, that, to the covenant part, let's take, talk a little bit more about kingdom. Um, during this series, um, every time I say kingdom like that, what we should really be thinking or considering is kingdom workers, our responsibility, our kingdom workers, our responsibility in this. Think JFK, you know, ask not what God can do for you, ask what you can do for God. Right? So in 33, he says, seek the kingdom above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Okay, but again, let's dive a little deeper into this um, particular aspect of kingdom, this seeking part. Right? When Jesus was teaching, um, we got to think back to um, that day, right? Um, what we had were a bunch of people that knew the Old Testament really well. Right? They knew the Old Testament really well, and they were coming to Jesus to hear him talk. So a lot of times he referred to things that they already knew back in the New Testament. He didn't directly quote them. He didn't say, I'm quoting now this prophet, or I'm quoting Moses now. Sometimes he did, but he didn't always. Sometimes he just gave it out there so it was something that they could relate to. And that's what he's doing here on the Sermon on the Mount time and time and time and time and time again. If you look at, for example, Jeremiah 29, 13, right? You will seek me and find me when you what? Seek me with all your heart. Let me try that again. You will seek, God's saying this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Yeah. What does that mean? probably exactly what you're thinking it means. Like I said, this is not mystery, this is not veiled. Right? Seek me with all your heart. There's another one in 1 Chronicles 16.11. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face. Yeah, we could also use the word constantly there. So these are verses that Jesus is referring to here in the sermon, and maybe another half dozen more that are exactly like that. Along with the idea of don't store up treasure in, your, in, in the earthly kingdom. But what did I say was coming back to? That, that, uh, that everything you need part, right? We're up to that. Back to 633. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So that's the result of putting God first in everything we think, do, and say. He will give you everything you need. The result of putting God first in everything we think, do, and say. To honor God in every respect, every aspect, every moment of our lives, with all your heart. Say all that again. The result of putting God first in everything we think, do, and say. To honor God in every aspect, every moment of our lives, with all of our heart. Now, quick, unrelated question. Are you doing that? Are we currently doing that in our lives? Putting God first in everything we think, do, and say? Honoring God in every aspect, every moment of our lives, with all of our heart? Are we doing, I'm just checking, and I even got to the living righteously part. Are we living righteously? We don't want to talk about that part, though, do we? We just want to jump to that part where it says that God's going to give me my heart's desires, right? I know it says he gives you everything you need, but come on. Is that it, really? Is that all we get out of this? I know the word seek 
in our heads. Well, I know that means constantly with all I am, but come on. Let's just get to that everything we need part. What about that part? Everything I want, all my heart's desires. But it says that for a reason. Jesus said that for a reason. Everything you need. Well, first of all, God's view of what you need and your view of what you need are different. They're different. God's view of what we need and our view of what we need are very different. God actually says things like this. He says, I am all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. Our question should be sufficient for what exactly? So the question really is, how do I know if I'm seeking God first? How do I know if I'm doing that, seeking the kingdom of God above all else? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's where do I spend my time, where do I spend my energy, where do I spend my resources? We have an hour here, and I see many of the same faces. It's beautiful to see you guys every week. One hour, but what do we do with the other 167 hours during the week? Here we're seeking the kingdom, right? Here we're trying to live righteously and try to learn. But how do we apply that out there? Where do I spend my time, my energy, resources? The old saying still stands, show me your checkbook. Does anybody still have a checkbook? Show me your checkbook. Show me your checkbook and your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. Maybe we say bank statement in your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. So the question really is, what is it that you're seeking in this life for you and your family? What are you seeking in this life for you and your family? And God's promises are not conditional. They're unconditional. God sent his son here to save us. Those who believe in him. Those who put their trust in him. And when we do that, God says, check this out. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need. What you think you need and what God says you need are two completely different things. Let's look at a couple of the things. I'm going to end with this. Let's look at a couple of the things that God gives us. Right? He says, when he says, I will give you everything you need. Well, it's actually past tense. He has given us everything we need. 2 Peter 1.3 by his divine power, God has given us, has given, past tense, us, everything we need for living a godly life. So do we have the power and the ability, and the ability to seek God, the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously? Apparently we do. Do we tap into that all the time? Apparently we don't. Is it something we should try, strive for? Apparently it is. God has given us everything we need. God says, I'm going to give you everything you need. Here it says, I've given you everything you need for living a godly life. And how different would the world look if we actually tapped into that power by his divine power, giving us everything we need for a godly life? But it gets more. It gets bigger than that. Right? Not just about a godly life here on this earth. Right? It's about the kingdom. It's about experiencing God's kingdom versus this earthly kingdom. And when we put our faith and we put our trust in him, he says, I've got you. 
and I'm going to take care of that. That's why I started in Luke this morning, because Luke adds a unique phrase that we really need to hear and we really need to take home with us. So we're going to leave it with this. Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. In other words, fear not. It's Jesus' words. Your Father has chosen to gladly give you the kingdom. Has chosen, past tense, gladly to give you his kingdom. Are you ready, then, the question is, to gladly receive it? Amen? Let's stand.